Good morning. How's everyone doing? Um, you can't hear it from where you're at, but uh, on the front row, my family encourages me. I come up, and my wife says, you go, boy. And my son says, let's go. He wants to stand up and yell it. But it's always fun to get to come into God's house and to be able to engage in worship, to be able to open the word and share uh, from God's word. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this morning as we were preparing for worship during the practice, the drive over here. Um, yesterday I got to watch a great game. Uh, if you don't know me, you know I'm an OU fan, or you, you may not know that I'm an OU fan. Don't hold it against me, but, man, my team looked good yesterday. And I was watching the fans in Nebraska, man. They were all in. They were so supportive of their team. And just thousands of people, the, the roar in the stadium must be deafening when their team's on the field and when they score that touchdown. And I was thinking about how loud it might be. And then I thought, you know, we're going to engage in worship in the morning. And I don't think that we really truly understand what's going on beyond what we can see here um, in the natural realm. But in the spiritual realm, if he could just open our eyes for a moment and let us see what's going on in the heavenlies. I want you to know that we are joining myriads upon myriads of angels who are in constant worship of God. That's a pretty cool thing to think about, right? So when we worship, we're not doing it alone, right? We got the heaven's armies, the angels are worshiping God. And I wonder sometimes if they look down and see us and like... You're not doing it right, guys. Or if they're saying, you, don't, you say those words, but I don't think you truly understand what those words mean. I mean, there's no one greater. There's no one higher than our God. He's worthy of all praise. Amen? So I want you to think about that next time we're worshiping, that they might be watching us. And I don't want to be judged harshly if I'm not doing it right. So you know what? It's not about anybody else here. It's me and him, and I worship him because he is worthy. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 1, we began a series last week called Greater Than. And I, and I love this concept because I think we need to know that we're lifting up Jesus and he's greater than anything or anyone we could ever imagine. And that's the whole theme of the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. The writer wants them to know and to lift Jesus up to that level that Jesus is greater. Um, he also wants to encourage those who are discouraged, those who are tempted to turn back um, from following Jesus and going back to the old uh, Jewish uh, system, the old religion, he wants to encourage them to remain faithful in spite of their persecution. And so he begins to build this case that Jesus is greater. And so for the next 10 chapters, he's going to talk about Jesus being greater than the angels. And Jesus is um, greater than Moses, the great leader. Jesus is greater than the priests, and he's greater than the sacrifices and the covenants. He's going to make that case throughout this little epistle. And so last week we kind of kicked it off. We looked at the first three verses, and we talked about the fact that God is still speaking. He spoke many times in many ways through the prophets to our ancestors, but now he's spoken to us through his son. And I reminded us last week that God is still speaking. The question is, are we listening? Because he's spoken a great message through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and so laying that foundation, we now look at the first of the arguments that the writer of Hebrews, that we don't know who he is, but he makes of Jesus being greater than the angels. And so the title of the message today is A Greater Message. Now, as I said last week, we're not going to go um, deep verse by verse, but I want to look at an overview because I think that we can kind of miss the author's intent uh, when we get down into the, the details. But um, it is a deeper study because there's a lot of great things that we may not know from our perspective looking back. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 1 um, he begins talking about the angels and that Jesus is greater than the angels. Think about that for a moment. How many of you believe angels are real? Raise your hand. Okay, so I looked for a survey, like a new recent one. I couldn't find one. I found one from 1997, 25 years old. But they, 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 they pulled over 1,000 believers, and they said, all right, do you believe in angels? I think it was 75% of those polled said they believe in angels. 
What was interesting was 55% said that they did not believe that the devil was a real devil, that he was only a symbol of evil. Another 55% said they didn't believe the Holy Spirit was real, he was just a symbol of good. But 75% said they believe in angels. And I was doing a little more digging and found out there are people that don't believe that Jesus exists or that they don't believe in God, but they still believe in angels. There's this sense um, that there's more to what's going on around us that we can't see and we can't touch. There's angels around us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a little bit comforting to me to know that in this world you got somebody. How many like to think you got to own your own personal guardian angel that, that goes about and with you and protection watches over you? I don't know if it's like guardian one-on-one or if he's just like covering a handful at a time. I don't know. But just this idea that there are angels among us. I have to confess, I think my angel is war smooth out. He's like going to God every week petitioning God, could you please tag, let somebody else cover this guy because he's wearing me out. He's making me tired. But this idea that angels are around us is just a beautiful, encouraging thought. There's a lot in the scriptures about angels. There's a lot we could cover. That's not the idea here today. It's Jesus is greater than the angels. One of the things that I want to encourage, because I've heard this said before, and we like to think that you know, when our loved ones pass away, we're like, well, mom is now in heaven and she's my guardian angel. And I would say that that's not scriptural, and we would not want to demote mom that way. Amen? Angels are precious, right? They're great. And he's not belittling them, but I would say that I wouldn't want to bring God's creation, those who are inheriting salvation, down to the level of angels, as we will see um, later. And so the writer of Hebrews, by the time this letter is written, it's written in about A.D. 68. And so most of the New Testament is floating around, all right? The only letters that have not yet been written is the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. Everything else is out. Everything else is being circulated through the churches. Um, by the time this is written, uh, there's this thing called Gnosticism that's creeping up in the churches. And the Gnostics, one of the things they did was angel worship. They had elevated angels so far up there. There's like God, angels, and they were actually worshiping angels. And Paul, in Colossians, warns against that, not be deceived in the worshiping of angels. Um, and so we know that there was an unhealthy view, maybe an unbalanced view of angels at the time this was written. They were highly esteemed. Um, and, and so in that vein, the writer is talking to those who are tempted to go back to the old system. But I think he's also talking to another group. So imagine for a moment you got two groups of people. You got one group that's there during this letter that are a part of the old religion, the old system. They're still sacrificing. They're still going to the temple. They're still abiding by the, the Mosaic law, right, the Torah, and they hold that stuff dear to them. That's their church. But out of that group came a few people that watched Jesus walk on the earth, spoke with authority, did all the miracles, and proved many, many different ways and in many times that he was um, divine. And so they believed in him. They were called the followers of the way. They would later be called Christians, and that was a derogatory term when it first came out. So um, you got that group of people, and now Christ is ascended into heaven, and they're starting to experience some persecution. And so now there's a few that are just kind of stuck in the middle. Um, they they, they want to remain faithful to what they've learned about Christ, but because of persecution, they're tempted to just go back to the normal thing that they've always known. And they've probably got family members that are going, hey, you, you know, you got sidetracked and you went over there. Now come back to the fold. Come back to our religion. So I feel like the writer is addressing both groups of people. So he's about to make the case that Jesus is greater than the angels. And so he's going to point out that Jesus is greater than the angels as the Son of God, that is in heaven, the Son of God, and as the Son of Man in the flesh. So he begins in chapter 1 by, let me just quickly recap that last week God spoke many times in many ways, but now he's spoken through his Son. 
And the characteristics of the one through whom he's spoken is that he's the heir of all things. He's the creator of all things. He, um, is the, he radiates the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of the character of God. He holds it all together with the voice of his command. Amen? That he cleanses us and that he sat down at the place of honor next to God the Father. He's saying that's the one through whom God is speaking to us now. Now, in verse 4, we'll pick up. It says, this shows... All of this about Jesus, this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels. Okay, so at this moment, the first group is like, wait a minute, angels are important. So how are you saying that Jesus is greater than the angels? Now, the writer could have easily said, hey, read the letters that are floating around, but the old group wouldn't respect those new writings, right? We, we don't believe in the new letters that are being circulated among the churches. We hold to the Torah, the first five books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's our authority. And so it's as the writer knows this, and he's very brilliant, he says, okay, pick up your copy of scriptures, and I will show you from there that Jesus is greater than the angels. And so he quotes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Hebrew text, so that's their new translation, and from there he begins to quote seven different times from the Old Testament that Jesus is greater, okay? As the son of God, Jesus, is greater. So he says, um, for God never said to an angel what he said to Jesus. What did he say? Psalm 2-7, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Um, and again, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son. 2 Samuel 7-14. Um, in Psalm 97-7, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. Who? Jesus, right? Um, to the Son, again, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your rule and your scepter of justice, your love, justice, and, and you hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. To the angels, he said, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. And so over and over and over, the writer of Hebrews is laying out in front of them using their scriptures that Jesus is greater as the Son of God. Amen? That's chapter 1. And so, um, as a good speaker uh, might do, he stops there in the beginning of chapter 2 to give a warning. I'm going to put that at the end today because he's still making the case that Jesus is greater right after that warning. And so, um, if you look at verse 5, and furthermore, still talking about Jesus greater than the angels, Jesus is greater as the Son of God, now he's talking about the Son of Man. So, he's made the argument using their scriptures that Jesus is greater and a natural question that might come up there from them would be, okay, but how can you say Jesus is greater than the angels when he had a human body? Because their belief was angels were above humans. So how can you say Jesus is greater when he had a human body? And that's a good question. So the writer's like, well, let me explain to you why he had that human body first. And so he makes the argument that Jesus now is greater as the Son of Man than the angels. And so he will... Break it down. That's where we'll spend the bulk of our time. So let's look at that, and let me go ahead and read it. Furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. For in one place the scripture says, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, 
who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, Psalm 22, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, Isaiah 8, I will put my trust in him, that is, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So the writers made the case that Jesus is greater than the angels as son of God. Yeah, but how can you say he's greater as a human being? Well, Jesus became a human being on purpose. And I would say there's three things that we could focus on, on the why Jesus had the human body. The first one was because he needed to be the last Adam. Now, how many of you remember the story in Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of man? Genesis 1, God created them all. He put them in the garden. He says, I'm going to create man. Let us create man in our image and they will reign over the earth. They will have the authority. In chapter 3, we know what happens is they were tempted. Because, you know, Satan knew that. <clears throat> and he wanted to cause division at the very beginning. And so he caused Adam and Eve to fall into sin. The first Adam lost it all. And so Romans speaks of the last Adam who would come back and regain what was lost by Adam. Um, and so Jesus becomes the second Adam or the last Adam. And to do that, he had to be in the flesh. Right? So God had this plan to put all humanity in authority over his creation, okay? And that was lost. And so Jesus became the last Adam. And so in Psalm 8, he, he, he quotes that there. And uh, I want to read that to you real quick because it's a beautiful one. <clears throat> it says, when I look at the night sky, how many of you ever just go out and look up? On this property, when the lights are out, it is dark. And you can see all the stars, right? It's beautiful. He says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that should, you should care for them, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims of the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your name is majestic and fills the earth. We used to sing, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know that one? So he's reminded in Psalm 8 of Genesis 1 before the fall, and we know that Adam the first Adam lost it all, and so Jesus came to the earth in the incarnation to be the last Adam, to redeem what Adam um, lost. So 
uh, the last Adam's work, <clears throat> look at verses 9 through 13. So what we do see is Jesus for a little while. Say little while. So just to remind you, Jesus was in heaven with God at the beginning. Through him all things were created. So Jesus' beginning didn't start in a manger. It's just when he, came, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And so it's in that moment that Jesus lowered his position where he was above the angels in heaven for a little while, right? He was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Now, time out for a second. Because if you're in the first group and you know the Torah, you know that Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, right? Because they're a sinner and God's curse is upon them. And so that would have been a stumbling block for them to hear, okay, Jesus became flesh, right? He was a human. You're saying he's greater than angels, but how can he be greater if he's a human and if he was nailed to a tree? Because my scriptures tell me that that man is cursed by God because he's nailed to the tree. Later through it, the rest of the scripture, we learn that the purpose for Jesus' death was that it wasn't his sins that nailed him there. It was the sins of all humanity. And he, in perfection, the Bible says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we may be right with God, right? And so we know the rest of the story that Jesus took the sin of all humanity, their curse, your curse, my curse, not his curse, but he took it on him and was nailed to the cross. And it was necessary that Jesus die in order to undo all the work that the first Adam did. And so Hebrews begins to lay that out. Hey, Jesus is greater than the angels, even in human form, because of the redemptive work that he came to do. He's the last Adam. He came to undo all that the first Adam messed up, and his death was necessary, and it's through that death that we would be reconciled to God. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. It's like he created a new group of people. We call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. God is our Father. Jesus, we're co-heirs with him because of the gospel. And so a lot of great things happen because he became flesh. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So we know that he came to be the last Adam. And so a second reason that he came, and I think we could probably go forever on all the many benefits of Jesus coming to the earth and what he accomplished in that coming, his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, but the second one that I want to highlight in Hebrews is verse 14, to defeat the devil. How many know that we have an enemy even today? 1 Peter 5, 8 says we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant because we still have an adversary that walks around and he's in the business of destruction and division. He wants to destroy lives. He wants to knock us off of our path of following God. And so he's very real, and he's still very much at work. Um, and so we need to understand that we have an enemy, the devil. And the devil, the devil, before what Jesus accomplished, had the power of death, and he had the power that caused people to experience death, sin. He had the keys to that. So he was the tempter, and he also had the power over death. And so Jesus had to remedy that as well. And so it says in verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. It had to be this way. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help the angels. He came to help the descendants 
of Abraham. And so he says the purpose for which Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us was to defeat the devil. How many know that there's victory in Jesus? There's victory in his death, burial, and the resurrection. He conquered death. He has the keys to it. He has the authority over it. And so those of us that are in Christ no longer have to fear dying. Amen? And so he came as the last Adam to undo the, the work that the first Adam did. He came to defeat the devil in verse 17. And I like this one, and I think it's important for us today. It's because I, I meet people that are going through something, and they may say, Shane, you don't understand what I'm going through. And I have to say, you know what, you're right, I've never experienced that. So I try to be sympathetic, but I, I don't understand fully because I'm not walking in their shoes. There, there are things that I've experienced, I'm like, I know exactly what you're going through because I've been there, done that. How comforting is it to us that Jesus became our sympathetic high priest because he became flesh and dwelt among us. He was tempted like we were tempted, but he didn't give in. Amen? He, he didn't take the bait of sin. He remained faithful as the last Adam. He was obedient. And so it says, therefore, verse 17, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. Jesus was tired. Are you tired? Jesus had emotions. He wept when other people grieved. He wept over Jerusalem when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you like a, a hen gathers its chicks under its wing, but you weren't, you weren't willing. And so Jesus was bothered. By the apathy of the day and the rejection of his people, rejecting him as Messiah, Jesus was like us, yet he didn't sin. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our, listen to this, merciful and faithful high priest before God. You know, we have an accuser of the brethren. The Bible says devil, the devil's good about accusing us before God. Did you see what they did? It's comforting to know that I have a mediator between me and God, the perfect high priest that's merciful, who says, hey, I've been there. I know exactly what they've gone through. And he's mediating on our behalf before God. I don't know about you, but that brings me a little bit of peace and comfort. Amen? So it says, then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. You know, this old system over here, they had to do it regularly. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was the, the one sacrifice a year that had to be done every year, over and over and over again. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that he could offer a sacrifice that would take away sins not cover the sins, but take away the sins of the people. Um, you go on to chapter 10, and it says, for by that one offering or by that one sacrifice, he forever made perfect, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's good news. The work that Christ did on our behalf. And so the writer of Hebrews is making the case, hey, Jesus, I mean, the angels, man, they're cool. And they're to be respected and honored and all that stuff, but let's make sure that we get the, the, the right priority and rank right. Jesus is far above the angels as the son of God. But he's also far above the angels as the Son of Man because of what he accomplished on behalf of all of humanity. That's a pretty cool message, isn't it? See, we, we have the combined scriptures, you know, as canonized, and we have the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we can see the whole picture, the, the mystery that is the church today that they didn't have a clue about. And so how blessed are we to have the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ today? And so when we talk about the angels, what was their role? Angels were spirit beings 
I mean, they helped people in time of needs, but primarily they were messengers. They would just pop on the scene to give a message from God. Hey, Moses, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. Hey, Gideon, mighty man of valor, God's called you to go lead your people. He would just show up and give a message. How cool would that be to be in those days and just to get a message from an angel? Like if you're Mary and you're pregnant out of wedlock, so to speak, and, and, the, and the angel shows up and says, hey, um, the, that which is in you is the seed of God. I mean, you're not, I mean, it, that would change everything, wouldn't it? Zechariah, hey, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. But how can that be? My wife is old. Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. Okay, it changes everything, right? So the, the angels were the messengers of God, but what we see in Hebrews is he begins to make the case that there's a greater messenger, and that is Jesus. And the greater message that Jesus, as the great messenger, gives to us is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the most important message that all of humanity needs to hear, understand. Amen? Back to the warning. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through the angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. He's saying, listen, in the past God spoke through the prophets to our ancestors, and he spoke through the angels. They were the messengers, but now he's spoken to us through his son. And if the message that was delivered from the angels was a serious message and those who ignored it were punished, how much greater would it be for us to ignore the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what he's saying here? Jesus is greater, and there's no other opportunity to be made right with God except through Jesus. So imagine you're on a boat, and you're just cruising down the river, and over to the side you see a boat dock, and it says Jesus. What he's saying is, there are no more boat docks down the river, right? Jesus is it. Don't drift past that. Jesus is the more important messenger with the most important message. Place your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The old group, they had the system that was simply a shadow pointing to the reality that we know is Jesus Christ. Amen? So would you rather have the shadow or would you rather have the real deal? And what he's saying is, hey, Jesus is the real deal. He's greater. He's the greater messenger. So do you believe his message? Have you placed your faith in that message? That whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that beautiful? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the work he completed was good enough. By that one offering, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. All praise and glory to Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. I hope you place your faith in him. Believers, uh, man, I hope you realize just how great he is. As I said last week, the more we know about Jesus, the more it means to us. If you just have like a limited, shallow 
perspective and understanding of who Jesus is, then it may not mean that much to you. Sure, yeah, he's a great teacher and, and all that stuff. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. But when you truly get to know who he is on a more intimate level, it just builds much more on the other end when it means, what, it, what does it mean to you? And as I said last week, it means everything to me. Amen. He's everything to me. There is no one greater, no one higher. Jesus is greater. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the reminder. Lord, as we just look into Hebrews, God, I know there's so much information in there, and we could just spend weeks and weeks and weeks digging through it. But, Lord, I hope today that maybe we see the intent of, uh, I almost say the author, but your intent through the author to put your son on a display high above everything and anyone else, that we would never lower him um, to the place where he doesn't belong, but, Lord, that we would acknowledge that he, Lord, is high above everything created, that he's greater than the angels. And as we consider the message that is spoken through the prophets about Jesus, and we see it fulfilled in the life of Jesus, and we hear Jesus teach about um, the, the kingdom is among you, and we hear his message proclaimed, and all the others for centuries that have been teaching this message of Jesus, what a great, important message. Lord, I thank you that today we're the recipients of a greater message. And Lord, the stakes are high because, Lord, if we hear that message and we ignore that message, we know that, Lord, the, the consequences are eternal after this life. We realize that for a little while we are lower than the angels, but your plan, Lord, in the, in the future and eternity is you're going to bring us up there as your family and we'll be commanding angels is what Paul said in Corinthians. So, Father, help us to realize just how great Jesus is and what he's done for us and help it to change us. Lord, for those that have not placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they don't look to anyone else, they don't look to their works, they don't look to religion, but they look to Jesus and Jesus alone to save them from their sins. But for the rest of us who place our faith in that message and we've been walking with you for years, let us never get complacent, never, never take our sight or our eyes off of how awesome and glorious you are. Lord, that we always put you in your rightful place above every other name, that at your name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. Lord, we thank you for the message of the gospel. I pray that we would reflect on that and that it would encourage us in our walk and that, Lord, it would just go deep into our heart of how much more meaningful that is to us personally. Lord, it would affect our, our actions. It would affect the way we deal with other people that it would affect our worship as we come together, Lord, that we can see ourselves joining that mighty throng of angels who are rightfully worshiping you. And God, we would take our place, Lord, in that great worship experience as we're just worshiping you. Lord, we thank you. We ask that you be honored in our lives today. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.